All right, after today, we, uh, <laughs> we will have completed our verse-by-verse um, verse exposition of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. We will have finished it today. Amen? Pretty cool? Thank you for taking this journey with me. So, at the conclusion of his most famous sermon, Jesus said these words. This is, this is it. Here's the big wrap-up. Matthew 7, 24. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and, as, and not as their scribes. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. What words? Well, as I mentioned, this is the closing statement of his relatively short sermon. So Jesus is talking about everything he has said within that sermon. These words, these very words which are so deep that we have been studying them together for months. And then Jesus makes an incredible promise. He says, if you have truly heard these words and if you act on them, you will prove to be like a wise man and you will find that you have built your house, your home, your family, your life on a rock solid foundation. But also notice what he does not promise. Jesus does not promise that nothing difficult will ever come your way. He does not promise that no storms will rage in your life. In fact, he assumes that storms are coming upon both the wise and the foolish. The difference is not in the ferocity or the frequency of the storms, but in whether or not you and your family will hold fast or be swept away. Unlike the foolish majority, if you and your family hear and obey the words of Jesus, you will stand. You will outlast the storms of life. You will endure strong and unfallen. This is really quite a simple promise to understand. Jesus says, if you hear and put into action my teachings, you're going to be okay, no matter what happens. So let's keep it simple and understand that we can really only mess this up in two ways. We can either not actually hear his words, or we can fail to act on what we have heard. Many people never read the Bible. They seldom, sporadically or never, attend church where God's word is taught. They just never hear. 
And therefore they are building their lives on shifting sand because they do not regularly place themselves in a position to hear the truth. Truth that is generally the opposite of every worldly voice. Even well-intentioned ones. Some people just are not tuned in to the radio station, if you remember the old song. They're just not tuned in to what God has said and what God is saying. The voice of God, the words of Christ, are simply not what they are listening to. And Jesus is saying that's a big problem. But others hear His words all the time. They're in church most every Sunday. Maybe they even attend a small group Bible study. Maybe they even read their Bible at home. Maybe they listen to internet preachers. But no matter how much they hear, if they do not act upon those words, they are not in any better shape than those who do not hear it. Jesus said those who hear but do not act on those words are still camping out on the beach and wondering why their sandcastles never make it through the night. When families and people inside biblical churches fall apart, what is the reason? It is not because they haven't heard the teaching of Jesus. It's because they are not acting upon what they've heard. And whether one does not hear it in the first place, or if he or she does not obey what they have heard, Jesus said, such a one is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. We've spent the last several months working through this largest single body of public teaching from Jesus that we have. And here at the end of it, he simply says, hear my words and put them into action. That's it. Now, if you've been here, you've heard. And, and that means for you, application is everything. I've shared the word with you, but the doing part is up to you. I can't act on the words of Jesus for you. I have enough trouble with myself. But what I can do is this. I can help you remember what Jesus taught one more time. So that's what I'm going to do as we close out this series. I'm going to read through the Sermon on the Mount one last time, and I'm going to pause and remind you of what we learned in each section. So it's going to be different today. We're simply going to review. I believe it's worthwhile for us to have read through the Sermon on the Mount together in one sitting before we finish this series. So that's what we're going to do. Now, let me ask you to do something. You will enjoy and engage with this sermon far better if you use your listening guide, the insert in your bulletin, and fill in the blanks. I'm just telling you, for this one, for this one, filling in the blanks is really going to help you not be bored and stay engaged. So even if you don't usually take notes, which is fine, I don't really care that much. That's up to you. But even if you don't usually take notes, consider taking out your program and following along and filling in those blanks with me. Trust me, I think you'll be glad you did. You might even wind up with something worth, uh, you know, keeping in your Bible to look back at. So, here we go. All the way back to the beginning. The first sermon in this series, part one, was Happy are the Sad... Got the first blank? Okay, I won't keep harping on it, but it really will make a difference in how this works for you. 
Part one, happy are the sad. From Matthew 5, 1 through 4. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, as rabbis were prone to do when they taught, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Main idea. Those who are spiritually poor and those who mourn are in a position to be blessed by God. Those who are spiritually poor and those who mourn are in a position to be blessed by God. To be blessed is to be given joy by God Himself. God is the only one who can turn our mourning into dancing. But if we don't recognize our poverty poverty and our spiritual deadness on a deep level, if we don't recognize our desperation, our need for God to show up and do His work in our lives, we will never seek Him in a way that results in this kind of blessing. We might seek sympathy from others or happiness from things, but we won't go fervently to the Lord, the only one who can really help us. Only spiritual beggars beg for spiritual blessings. And that makes all the difference. So how do we apply this teaching and thereby build our house on the rock? Application. Stay needy before God. Be desperate for Jesus. Stay needy before God. Be desperate for Jesus. Part two. Be meek like me. Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. For this sermon, I spent a lot of time on what it means to be meek and what it does not mean. Meek does not mean weak. I also explained that the word gentle, in my opinion, is a terrible translation of this word. Not so much because it's a bad translation as much as the way we take the word gentle normally in our context. A a better translation is humble. But again, it's not in the way we often think of it today. True humility is not a poor self-image or fake modesty, but rather it means being strong enough inside to put others first and even to let them increase at your own expense. This is the biblical idea of meekness. This is about taking humble action, not portraying a lower self-image. Jesus knew exactly who he was, and yet he washed the feet of the disciples Here's the application. Live to elevate others, not yourself, and you will be blessed by God. Part three. Pursue faith, grace, and purity. Our text is Matthew 5, verses 6 through 8. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Main idea. The desire for righteousness, a tendency to show mercy, and the ability to walk in purity, all flow from a faith-filled relationship with God. 
The desire for righteousness, a tendency to show mercy, and the ability to walk in purity all flow from a faith-filled relationship with God. Scripture is clear. We had to look at other scriptures for this one. But Scripture is clear that the only way to have, a righteous, have righteousness before God, the only way in Scripture, so many times it's repeated, is by faith. Mercy or grace and also purity flow from faith as well. And together this all brings us a state of blessedness in life that only God can give. I've said that to be blessed by God is to have and to be everything you would want if you really knew what you wanted. What we find is that everything we really want is wrapped up in a faith-filled relationship with God. So in order to build your house on the rock and be blessed by God, here's the application. Faithfully pursue, hunger and thirst, faithfully pursue God for righteousness, for mercy, and for purity. Part four, the makings of peace. Text is Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Main idea. Those who have been given peace with God also help others have peace with God. They are called sons of God because they are doing what Jesus did. Those who have been given peace with God also help others have peace with God. They are called sons of God because they are doing what Jesus did, the Son of God. For this message, I spent a lot of time delineating between the kind of peace Jesus was talking about and the kind of peace he was not talking about. Jesus actually warned that even families would divide over him. So we can know that he was not talking about peace at the expense of truth or really about worldly peace. Jesus was mostly talking about peace between God and man. Jesus made peace possible between a holy God and sinful people by dying on a cross for our sins. Those who offer this peace to others are called sons of God because at that point we are doing what the Son of God did. He made peace between God and man. How do we apply this and thereby avoid building sandcastles that won't stand? Here it is. Be the ultimate kind of peacemaker by helping other people find peace with God in Christ. Part five, God's majnik. <laughs> Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Main idea, God's kingdom sometimes seems, anyone? Backwards. I, sometimes, I really wonder how many people have gotten it at this point. Majnik? Backwards? A few more are getting it. God's kingdom sometimes seems backwards. Look for blessings through persecution. Look for blessings through persecution. Keep your eyes on heaven's 
reward. Oh, man, that's a theme throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. Keep your eyes on heaven's reward. Understand that those who live by the first seven Beatitudes are certain to experience the eighth, which involves persecution. Even more counterintuitive is the fact that this persecution is a part of the path to blessing. Persecution means temporary pain on the way to, be, to the blessing of God. But we should not make light of such pain because it can be quite extreme. So how do we act on these words of Jesus? Here's the application. Expect persecution and face it with the joy of knowing eternal rewards always outweigh temporary pain. Expect persecution and face it with the joy of knowing eternal rewards always outweigh temporary pain. Part six, salt and lights. Verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Main idea. We are not called to fit in or hide out, but to take Jesus into the world by doing good, that's ministry, and sharing the gospel, that's mission. Not called to fit in or hide out, but to take Jesus into the world by doing good and and sharing the gospel. This message was actually all about popcorn if you remember. No, it was about being real and making a difference. Anybody remember the tasteless? Who was it that got the tasteless popcorn that had no salt? I see a couple of you back there. Yeah. Yeah. It was about being real and making a difference. When it comes to salt, it is worthless if it is tasteless or if it does not have proximity. As I put it, if you are a faker or still in the shaker, You are not worth much to the kingdom of Christ. Jesus actually says that if that's you, you are good for nothing but to be trampled under feet like tasteless, tainted salt. That's what he said. When it comes to light, Jesus is talking about being transfigured. That is to let what's inside of you out. When Jesus let the disciples see what was inside, all they could see was light. The Bible says the Holy Spirit of God lives in believers just as he was in Christ. Letting the light shine means letting God have control and letting his character be what others see in you. Metamorpho, to be transfigured or transformed. Remember also that the salt and the light in this teaching are not of your own making, but come from Christ in you. As you let him lead through you, he will dispense his salt and shine his light in a tasteless and dark world. To apply this teaching of Jesus, do three things. Stay salty, you know, I'd say positively different. Stay illumined or illuminated, filled with the Spirit. And also, stay in the world. Stay in the world. Part seven. 
not to abolish, but to fulfill. Verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For, I truly, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Main idea. Jesus Christ fulfilled the promises of the prophets by perfectly obeying God's moral law and by paying the penalty for the rest of us who do not. Therefore, only in Christ do we have hope. Once more, Jesus Christ fulfilled the promises of the prophets by perfectly obeying God's moral law and by paying the penalty for the rest of us who do not. Therefore, only in Christ do we have hope. It's very important to understand that Jesus did not in any way make what God had said before null and void. The Old Testament and the New Testament are one story, and they are completely congruent when you understand how Jesus brings it all together. In truth, much of the Old Testament could not be fully understood until Jesus came, but now it is rich with meaning for us. Here's the application. We build our house on the rock when we Study to understand and apply the whole Bible in light of how Jesus fulfilled it on our behalf. We build our house on the rock and we study to understand and apply the whole Bible in light of how Jesus fulfilled it all on our behalf. Part 8. Why can't we all just get along? Verse 21. You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Main idea. No one can keep God's law well enough to be saved. The law about murder is a command to love, not hate. In this and the following portions of his sermon, Jesus contrasts the spirit of the law with the letter of the law. To be clear, the spirit of the law is more difficult. Some Jews thought they could keep the letter of the law, but Jesus showed them they had absolutely no shot by explaining that God's deeper intentions are beyond human capability. While saying to the scribes and Pharisees, you can't do this well enough to be saved from wrath, he is also saying to his disciples, after I have changed you and you've been forgiven and filled with the Spirit, then you will be able to live like this for real. In reference to this particular law, Jesus basically says, and here's the application, you must find a way to get along 
with your fellow man or else you will pay the price. That may sound kind of shallow. I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and read through it again because that's it. And I think we all need to hear that. I'll just leave you challenged with that. I want to preach another message right here, don't I? Yes, I do. I'm not going to. Parts 9 and 10. Uh, unfaithfulness is a disease. Unfaithfulness is a disease. We wound up, uh, disease. We wound up taking two weeks to cover these verses. Let's read them. Uh, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Main idea. Again, obedience to the law is no path to salvation. However, this is the way followers of Jesus are to strive to live in the Spirit's power. Specifically, you must be faithful in marriage and other relationships. We must be faithful in marriage and other relationships. This text requires much explanation, okay? So I would encourage anyone interested to go back and watch these sermons. There were two. Uh, you can find them on our Facebook page or on YouTube. But for today, I'll just sum up the application this way. If you want to build your house on the rock, be faithful to your spouse and also to others in every way. Part 11, the power of unconditional love. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's how he wraps up this section. Main idea, God's standard for man is that we be perfect like him. This leaves us gasping for his grace, both in terms of forgiveness 
and for the empowerment to live differently, specifically by practicing unconditional love. So again, Jesus follows this pattern, referring back to an Old Testament law in order to reinterpret the spirit of it for the people, to show them two things. One, that they can't pull it off well enough to earn heaven. And two, that after a person is saved by faith in Christ, he or she should strive for these ideals in the Spirit's power. So how do we who have been saved apply this teaching from Jesus? Simple. Choose the way of Christ by showing unconditional love to the undeserving. Now, I could spend some time defining love, right? Uh, and we've talked about those things throughout this series. Christ-like love, unconditional love, not hatred. All right, part 12, heart matters. We're in chapter 6 now in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. <clears throat> ah, and then also I link together with this one verses 16 through 18. So you kind of have to skip ahead because it goes together. Verse 16, whenever you fast... Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly, I say to you that you ha they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, uh, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Main idea, according to Jesus, the motivations of our hearts are of utmost importance, particularly when... We do good works when we give our money and when we worship. When we do good works, when we give our money, when we worship. Jesus made it clear that if our motivations are wrong, whatever we think we are doing for God is really for ourselves. And that makes it pretty much worthless or worse, idolatrous. Man may see the outside, but God looks on the heart. To build your house on the rock... Make sure your religious practice, this is the application, make sure your religious practice is done for God and not to impress others. Part 13, pray this way. Matthew 6, verse, we're back, uh, back, back where we were then in verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day. By the way, this and several other passages is where I get the uh, title for the series. 
how to have heaven on earth. If, you have, if you've been here, you know it's about God's kingdom, helping, being a part of His, expanding His kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others uh, for their transgressions. Nope, I'm stopping there. Verse 13. All right. Main idea. The Lord's Prayer is given to us by Christ as a model and should be used to guide our prayers in areas of focus and structure. It's given to us as a model, should be used as a guide to help us focus and to give us some structure. You'll need to listen to the six points of that sermon to get more detail on this, but generally speaking, to avoid a sandy foundation for your life, you should pray as Jesus taught. In other words, use the Lord's Prayer as a model for how and what to pray. Part 14. Where do you bank? And we're in verse 19. By the way, I think um, verses 14 and 15, I was supposed to read them earlier. Uh, It went with uh, one of the previous points, so I messed that up. But anyway, you get the idea. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your, ear, if your eye is clear, you, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Main idea, the best place for you to invest your money is in the work of God on earth, because this both changes your heart and, dare I say, earns you eternal rewards. I'm not just saying it. Jesus said it. There is no idol like money. Way back in Deuteronomy, the Bible tells us that the purpose of tithing is to put God first in your life. There is nothing that will change your heart like generosity. And on top of that, Jesus promises a heavenly return on your earthly investments when these investments promote His kingdom. Nothing is designed to promote the kingdom of heaven like the church which was not invented by pastors or someone, right? It's his church. It was invented by Jesus. Nothing is designed to promote the kingdom of heaven like the church. So this is our purpose. In other words, the application is this simple. For the sake of heaven, for the sake of heaven and your heart, give to the work of God on earth, especially through the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to expound on this just for a second off the top of my head because I need to take a moment. I've been looking for a moment to say to you something. Um, You're like, yeah, of course, you would expound on the one about money. Um, But in in all seriousness, uh, we are entering our fourth year as a church plant, right? Okay, anybody that knows about church planting knows that you raise money from outside sources to get off the ground, and somewhere around the fourth year, the outside sources starts tapering tapering off. 
as it should. We need to stand on our own two feet. Let me just tell you, on the one hand, the giving in this church is outstanding. It's, it's absolutely outstanding. I, I don't, well, I'm, not, I'm not preaching this to you like, you know, you need something. But I'm just telling you that if you happen to be one who has not started really contributing substantially to this church, and this is your church family, um, any time would be a good time to go ahead and engage that. Uh, because the other is tapering, understand? So we have some time and everything, and we're no panic. We have reserves. God is in control. We, our faith is not shaken in any way. But I just need to let you know that, that we are entering that, that time that happens for every church plant. And so... Just pray about, uh, about that and whether or not you can be a part of helping us um, stand on our own two feet more. Um, and keep in mind that we've been supporting three other church plants for a while now. So we're, uh, and we're not cutting them off, okay? So I believe God blesses as we give. Same thing in our own personal lives. He's doing the same thing in our church. But you should be aware that we have some monies that are going away that need to be replaced. Fair enough? So pray about that, whether that involves anything that... Uh, and I will just add one last thing, that this, this last quarter of this year needs to be like the last quarter of last year, <laughs> which was really good, okay? So hopefully, uh, I'm, I'm not concerned. I just, really, my finance team made me say that, okay? <laughs> I, I, um, uh, uh, that's, that's kind of almost true. Uh, but anyway, so, so there you know now. All right, good. Um, and as we just learned, it will be good for you. So, all right, part 15, uh, verse 25. And this is called, this one's, I call this one mind control. <laughs> verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried, haha, about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, the, the unsaved people, the, the people that don't have faith, the people that don't know me. Eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, idea, followers of Jesus should not worry about earthly things, but should seek God first and maintain a heavenly focus. Not worry about earthly things, but should seek God first and maintain a heavenly focus. When you put God first in your thoughts, everything else tends to fall in line. Jesus is winding down his sermon at this point and he's drawing some conclusions. When it comes to following Jesus, nothing is more important than what you allow to go on up in here. Jesus is very clear. He says, and here's the application, get control of your mind. I, I, that, there are so many verses. Take every thought captive. Get control of your mind. Stop thinking about the wrong things. 
and start thinking about God things. Oh my goodness, I need that. News apps, delete, you know, maybe that's what we need to do sometimes. Get control of your mind. Stop thinking about the wrong things and start thinking about God things. Do so and you'll be building your house on the rock. Part 16, to judge or not to judge. We're in chapter 7 now, verse 1. Do not judge so that you'll not be judged. For the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold the log? Or we might say two by four, right? Isn't that what I had? The log is in your own eye. You're a, hypocrite, first, you're a hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Main idea, Jesus tells us not to be, and this is the heart of what he's saying, not to be judgmental, but he also tells us how, where, and when to make judgments. Jesus tells us not to be this judgmental type of person like the Pharisees and Sadducees in his audience, but he also tells us how, where, and when to make judgments. Jesus tells us to make judgments about ourselves before we make judgments about others. We need to get our logs out so that we can help others with their splinters. Additionally, there are those who are not ready to handle truth that would help them. And in that case, you should keep that truth to yourself rather than throw it out there hopelessly, only to incur senseless wrath. So, to apply this teaching, get rid of any judgmental attitude, but once your heart is right, go to great lengths to help others who would desire to have victory over their own sinful behaviors, particularly if you have experience in that area. Once more, get rid of any judgmental attitude, but once your heart is right, go to great lengths to help others who would desire to have victory over their own sinful behaviors, particularly if you have experience in that area. Your log has been whittled down to a splinter at this point. You can help them with their log. Let me just say that if um, we do this as a church, we will build our church on the rock. This happens mostly through one-on-one discipleship. There's a lot of that going on around here, by the way, through both men's and women's ministries, and it makes me very excited about our future. If you would like to be discipled in the ways of the truth of Jesus, please let us know. Example, I know someone who overcame pornography a long time ago, helping out two guys that are working on it right now. When that kind of thing is happening, I'm excited about where we're headed. All right, part 17. Persistent prayer pays. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish he will not give him a snake? Will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Main idea in persistent prayer, our relationship with God as Father is strengthened and our prayers are answered. 
This is even more clear in Luke's account where Jesus says it's because of persistence that God answers. In fact, we're absolutely promised that because we are his children, when we are persistent, God will answer. Often, not exactly as we had hoped or as we had asked even, but with our best interest in mind from God's perspective. The application is very simple. Keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. Be persistent in your prayers. Part 18, the best idea ever. Verse 12, in everything, Jesus says, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Main idea, the golden rule sums up the life lessons of the entire Bible and tells us how to live as disciples of Jesus. The golden rule sums up the life lessons of the entire Bible and tells us how to live as disciples of Jesus. If, if you're wondering about the golden rule part, you'll just have to listen to the sermon. Okay. We can apply this to everything from our evangelism. Have you ever thought about that? How do you share Christ? Is this the way you would want it to be shared? We can apply it to how we help those who are hurting or those who are hurtful. It really is the best idea ever because if everyone submitted to it, the world would be in a immeasurably better place to live. You might even say that heaven would have come down to earth. Of course, we know that the only way to follow this rule is in the power of the Spirit of God because humans can never overcome their own selfishness on their own. Remember how I said this is the ultimate smackdown of secular humanism? Well, it's also the ultimate challenge to people who would follow Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to build your house on the rock, here's the application, every time you are dealing with another person, whether believer or unbeliever, just others, ask yourself, if you are treating them the way you would want to be treated, if not, change what you're doing. <laughs> it's almost as, almost as simple as what Jesus said. A little more complex, but yeah. If not, change what you're doing. All right, part 19. Make sure. Verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Main idea. Jesus is the one who will make your eternal destination determination. The key factor will be whether or not you know him. 
Jesus is the one who will make the eternal destination determination for you. The key factor will be whether or not you know him. This was just last week, so hopefully you remember the circle of proofs. Um, right road, right results, right relationship. That's the order that Jesus gave them in, but in many ways it starts with the right relationship, but it's a circle anyway. Right road, right results, right relationship. All interconnected signs that you have truly been made new by grace through faith in Christ. As I explained, this is not a lesson really on how to be saved, but on how to know you are saved. The best of us have 90 or so years to make sure. Maybe, Skip, you may have a lot more than that. He's already 88. But most of us have at best 90 years or so to make sure we're on the road to heaven and not to hell. Jesus doesn't want anyone to be confused and fooled, so he tells us how to take inventory. He wants us to make our salvation sure. And so the application of this text is this. In order to know if you are truly on the way to heaven, make sure you started in the right place. That's faith and belief. Make sure you're doing the right things, good fruit. And most importantly, make sure you know the right person, Jesus. I also dealt with some of the other verses there last week about false teaching and that uh, as well. But that brings us to today, part 20. Application is everything. Verses 24 through 29. Let me finish this out. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Main idea, in order to live wisely and build on a firm foundation, hear and obey the words of Jesus Christ. Obviously, we have more than the Sermon on the Mount to go on. As I've mentioned before, really this whole thing are the words of Christ. He is the word. But I dare say that if we could apply everything in this one sermon from Jesus, we'd be in pretty good shape. To make sure you're building like a wise man rather than a foolish man, here's the application. Regularly review the word of Christ and make changes accordingly. So as I said, this has been an unusual sermon. Uh, Really not a sermon at all, but a review of previous sermons. Regardless, the Word of God has been read publicly, as the Bible says it must be in the church, and we've recollected some of the things Jesus has been teaching us. I believe there is power in reinforcement, so I hope something was reinforced today for someone. In fact, let's just pause here at the end. What is the one thing? Think about it. What is the one thing for you? If there was one thing that you know you heard from the Lord during this season together, what was it? And it doesn't have to be any of the words that I've spoken today. Just overall, 
thinking about your life, if you've been here and heard these words of Christ preached, where and how has your life changed? What applications have you made? What's the one big thing that comes to mind? Maybe write that down. Even one real change in the direction of Jesus could make a huge difference for your foundation. What was it for you? Reinforce your commitment to that change this morning. Others of you may have surrendered to Jesus for the first time, for real, during this season. Maybe you realized you can't be good enough. And you surrendered to His saving grace for forgiveness and, and help on the journey. If so, I sure hope you'll let me know. Always let me know. I love hearing what God is doing in your lives. Nothing is more encouraging to me than to see transformation. In fact, it's our first of five core values, transformation. I'd love to hear your stories or even your thoughts. You can email me at gochurchpastormark at gmail.com or we could get together for coffee for that matter. Sometimes it helps nail something down to tell someone. Even better, tell the folks in your go group. If you don't have a go group, that's another, that's another sermon. You need to, maybe you have an unofficial go group. I don't know. But you, just, you need to have people that you're meeting with and that you're uh, doing life with, uh, preferably as a part of your church experience. All right? So, all right, we're going to pray together, and we're just going to ask God to help us to be faithful. Think about that one thing, especially. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for these words of Christ that are so rich, so far beyond what I've tried to mine out of them, what I've tried to share as your imperfect spokesman. So many times people tell me that what they got out of my sermon. I'm like, I don't even remember saying that. Your Holy Spirit does more than we can imagine. So God, I pray for these uh, folks that are here today, the folks that have been around and, and others that are here maybe even for the first time and I just pray that the words of Christ today um, would be applied and then make a difference Lord we know that without you we're nothing we know that only you can save us so I pray first of all for believers in this room Lord that whatever it is that you've been speaking through this season together that we'll be able to actually put them into practice, to put them into action so that we can build our homes, our lives, our families on the rock. But for others, God, that just kind of been sort of taking it in, not sure what to think about it. And maybe there's someone here today that just would even admit, I, I've never really been saved. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know if I... I just, I kind of believe in Jesus. I think I believe in Jesus. Nothing's ever really happened in my life. I've never experienced regeneration. I've never, I can't really say, look, there, there's the point where I was born again, where God came into my life and I became a new creature and everything was different after that. God, for whoever that is here today, I pray that today might be the day. Only your spirit can draw them, not me. And yet, as Paul preached, I would seek to persuade them to respond to your spirit. Lord, help someone today respond. Oh, you guide it all the way, Lord. It's your work. But help someone respond today. 
just to put their faith in Jesus. It's not some magic prayer that we pray, but it is a moment of saying yes. It is a moment of responding, of receiving by faith this gift of grace. Maybe it's today for someone, Lord. I hope so. Is there anyone that would say yes to Jesus today? Just give them your life. Give them your heart. Say, I'm tired. I'm weary. I don't understand it all, but I just know I need Jesus today. I just know I need forgiveness. I need to turn away from my sin. I need to repent of all that I've done, but I also just need to repent of not being good enough, and I never will be. I just turn away from all that and who I've been and And I just turn to Jesus by faith. I know you're helping me do that, God, but right now I just take a step of faith in Jesus and I just put my my life in your hands. Is there someone that would do that in this moment? Just trust in what Jesus did on the cross. Trust in who he is. He's God in the flesh and he died on the cross for you. If you really and truly believe that today, that the God who created you came down to earth and died on a cross and rose again, that he did all that for you, if you really believe that, I believe you will respond and love and thankfulness and repentance and just receive what he's done by grace through faith. I hope that if that's you today or if it's happened recently for you that you will let us know and, and that you'll just take the next step. Maybe the very next step is just letting me know and then I can talk to you some more. God, thank you for working in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.